you are listening to the Healthy Project Podcast with your host, Corey Diambolis. For more, go to healthyprojectpodcast.com. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me on the Healthy Project Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Dion Lewis. Um, I have another, as always, great guest in the building with me today. Uh, we're going to be talking about something that has been um, something I've been curious about for a long time. But amongst other things, I just want you to really get to know this individual. Um, but not only are we talking about the lived experience for you know to getting getting hired in jobs and health equity and all that good stuff but also just just chopping up and having a great conversation i have with me quinny sanchez lopez in the building quinny thank you so much for being with me today i really appreciate it thanks for having me corey yeah no problem so you know before we get into the conversation uh can you tell the people a little bit more about yourself and what gets you up in the morning yeah um, so I'll answer the what gets me up in the morning first. I've been preparing for this one. Um, so I like real talk. It's actually my cat. Um, my cat wakes up at like 6 a.m. every morning and licks my face and I'm like, okay, I'll feed you. Time to go. But, like, like really like more personally. Um, it's really trying to like improve the lives of others. Um, think kind of reiterating this whole sense of like lived experience like I am fueled a lot by like things that I went through growing up and that I witnessed other people go through and mm -hmm. yeah like once I started working I was like I am committed to making sure that people don't have to like live like this anymore um whether it's poverty or like living in abusive situations or like having lack of mental health treatment like I'm really motivated in just improving the lives of other people, especially people who grew up like me, like BIPOC or low income. Like these are the people that have often been forgotten. Um, and so that's kind of really like my, my motivation and my focus. Um, my career has taken me from doing outreach ministry, like through my church and with the Y um, to ending up doing like, research, um, field research, um, doing a social work master's program, um, taking me into digital health, and then also taking me into like research and insight innovation within digital health investment. So I've kind of feel like I've lived multiple lives just within these <laughs> past 10 years since I graduated college. Um, but there's a rhyme and reason to all of that. And um, I'm excited to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, you've done so much right in that time. Can you tell us a little bit, how did your lived experience influence your health equity advocacy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my lived experience, if I like were to bottle up like exactly like what it is, is um, I am a first generation immigrant. Um, and so like when we were also undocumented. So like there's this point in my life where like I very much understood like fear that people had in that realm. Mm -hmm. And then also what it means to live as an immigrant, um, not just like in regards to like um, policies and things of that nature, but like, okay, what are your chance of living in a uh, living like in a safe place or a place that's like right. habitable. So there's that component. Um, I think also being, um, 
not just an immigrant, but also being Latina, like I have, I'm like a subset of, of the immigrant population. And also like, what is this like being half Latin, like being born in, in Mexico and then growing up in the United States and like being a part of these two cultures. And so relating to that, um, also like being an only child and now like as I'm growing up understanding the responsibilities of like what it means to like care for elderly parents um growing up like with a Christian context you name it like having ADHD like understanding mental health from a like a younger age so like there's all of these things that come with me like whenever I go into any organization um and so what that allows me to bring in and in, in, in the work that I do is you mentioned the first, like you mentioned advocacy, like that's a really big component. Um, when I'm working with an organization, I, I'm thinking of like the community as a whole. I'm thinking of like those folks that will have walked in my shoes um, and vice versa, like those that like are walking with them. So it might be somebody that has a completely different experience than I do, but uh, they've gone through a struggle. And like my part of that is to make sure that they're being heard. Um, And I do that in several ways. Um, One of them is just being a cultural translator. Um, I was talking to my friend the other day. We both do, like, we were both, like, really involved in community engagement type of initiatives. Um, And we both grew up in the South, um, like, some of the only Latinas in the room. Um, Mm. Our classmates were predominantly uh, white. Our contacts were predominantly white. But, like, we also still had a side of us that, like, was very much, like, you go to church on Sundays and it's with Latina people. Um, and so we learned these two contexts, like she, she was telling me about, um, like knowing what it's like to like talk to the, like, um, the, the older, like Southern ladies that know the (laughs) yes, ma'am, or the bless my heart, or, um, the ones that are like, just cheering you on. And like, sometimes that's like, we can be taken aback if that's not like what we were raised with, or we're like what are the intentions behind that? And sometimes you kind of have to like learn to filter um, what did they mean? And then also explain it to other people that like may have not grown up in that context. So it's like this immigrant family or maybe like a Gen Z person that like never had to like experience that um, kind of translating like, okay, this is what's happening, this interchange. Or when you go to that location, like it's, it's almost like, code switching but like using yeah. that as a tactic mm-hmm. and unfortunately like that's a tactic that we're all very used to that we don't want to have to keep doing but there are certain times when like we know it's just going to be the shortcut um and it's like right. i don't want to be here longer than you want to be here let's just like do the shortcut and get it done um so there's that component too and like sometimes that allows people to also build partnerships um of like okay like I'm able to filter out the people that get in the people that don't get it um and so like yeah when you're young and you're like growing up in like an environment where you're just like constantly looking out for your safety it's like okay now I can understand how to bring that into a professional context in the sense of like okay I can filter out like what that person really means or I can filter out like their intentions are they really just wanting to like use us for clout or like to use their initiative to get a social media post or like, do they genuinely mm. want to make change? And so you learn to filter out like 
who is having like a genuine discussion, a genuine conversation. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that, the energy that it takes as someone and me and a lot of my friend, my friends of color who are in professional settings, we always talk about how physically, mentally, and emotionally it is draining talking to your friends one way and then getting into a professional setting and having to just flip the switch mm-hmm. for, and for a lot of our, you know, professional careers, it was survival. It was just getting through it. And it's like, it's exhausting being that person with that lived experience, but it's also a blessing for someone. It's, it's weird. Cause it's like a blessing to be able to prepare somebody who's coming into a professional setting. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, this is this is how it how it is. Um, did you find it physically, or did you find it like just draining for you to be able to have to like switch it on and off like that? Yeah, um, I think initially I was just like happy to be in the room. I was like, right. I, don't know I have to be like, I'm just glad that I'm here. Um, but I think after. Yeah, like after my social work program and like once I started like doing COVID related initiatives and Mm -hmm. um, getting more involved in social determinants of health, um, I really just was like, I don't think this is helping anybody uh, because they also need to know the real me. Like if I'm doing work with the community, like I need to know that or they need to know that I'm on their side. um, And so there's that essence of like I might do it with like my colleagues but when I'm working in the field with partners like I have to be my authentic self um and even like internally when it's like with colleagues or even if you're dealing with a board or something of that nature it's like okay like I know I have to prepare myself (laughs) like (laughs) and and it is exhausting um and I've one thing I have been like working on is like how do I just uh, bring my whole personality into like into spaces? Um, mm-hmm. So if I'm when I I was leading a facilitation um, for this conversation in San Francisco while I was working with Brock Health, um, and most of the people in this in that room like shared my lived experience in terms of like um, race and like upbringing, but like some of these folks were like CEOs, some of them were like funders, like investors. And here's little old Quinny, like just being like, hey, folks, or like referring to myself as a zillennial. I was like, honestly, like they might be at this different level, but like I think I've demonstrated enough of what I'm capable of doing that I don't need to perform anymore. Like Mm. this is who I am. Like this is what you get. Like this is why I'm able to do the work that I'm doing because all of these components are a part of me. So I've, right. I've been fighting to to be more myself. Right. And and it's, I wouldn't say it's scary to do that, but like, you just never know how someone's going to react to, mm-hmm. you, know, to, to you. Mm-hmm. You know, in the, the first time I was able to speak in a group full of people who were at the time I deemed like super important. And I was just speaking myself, like myself mm-hmm. and I didn't change my tone or I didn't mm-hmm. try to look for, you know, it was just like, I was just me. And I'm just looking like, okay, is somebody, what's the body language? What are people thinking? How I'm talking? And it was cool. And and that was the start of me being like, you know what? This is time for me to like, just continue to do this because it's okay. Mm -hmm. And I shouldn't have to perform. Like you said, you know, that's, that's great. 
that's that that's for that's freedom right there for sure yeah like understanding the balance of like not everyone gets it and for those that don't get it like i know what i have to do but i'm gonna like aim to be my authentic self as much as possible until it becomes the norm Right. When you when you're in these rooms, so like you talk about working at Rock Health, um, and you're in these rooms with funders or, you know, very, you know, experts in, in different fields and you're trying to make these changes, how do you feel like your uh how do you feel like your lived experience shine through there? Like there there are some things that you, you said you started out and you you're doing, but how did that lived experience shine um at those times? Yeah, I think in those moments, and going back to like this aspect of like, one thing that I I learned a lot was just like the importance of trust building, and the importance Mm -hmm. of um, being an active listener growing up. Um, And I wouldn't say like, any of these traits are true for like every single person that's gone through things. But I think all of us bring something with us. And so when I was in those roles, like, I would be able to converse with people and I would listen. And so even if it was somebody that like somebody that like was a different race or like, what is it? Like job category than me or like different position. um, It's like, I'm going to take a moment just to listen to you and understand who you are. And then I'm going to work with that. Um, And if it's somebody that like, I don't really have a lot in common with like I'm going to focus on that person and getting to know them and what they're about because that's really what I need to do at that time like it might not be a partnership that ends up happening or it might happen down the line but like I I need to build trust with that person and sometimes it's just being the listener and those other moments when it is folks that like have a little bit more connection with me it's okay like let's get into the nitty-gritty Um, Or let's like, let's work with what we have. I think some things that people with lived experience do really well is we can make lemons or lemonade out of lemons. Like something that we do is like problem solve and we're very innovative because like, especially people with lived experience in like poverty or in low income situations, or even like Mm -hmm. dealing with a lot of different um, social groups or like, um, economic groups um it's like learning how to manage relationships with people um and so i think that's something that we do really well it's like okay if all you gave me was that you watched ted lasso or if all you gave me was that (laughs) you were chief medical officer like i'm gonna work with that and like we're gonna make a conversation a whole conversation out of just that little thing that you gave me Right. And you, you brought up some really great values that individuals with lived lived experience bring to the table. But I wanted to kind of touch on that a little bit more because um, I've been hearing a lot more. I've been seeing a lot more of companies really looking at hiring individuals based off lived experience and not just, you know, accreditations or if they went to college or they had the four year degree kind of eliminating that barrier. Um, what is the value of hiring and supporting people with lived experience? Yeah, I think there's so much of it. I think one of the things I just mentioned was being innovators and just being resourceful. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing too is 
especially when we're talking about the healthcare industry is like the advocacy component. I think when we see other people being mistreated or like we know something could have gotten better, like a lot of times we see ourselves in that situation and we think like, what would I have wanted somebody to do for me? Um, And whether that's like Mm. saying something in the moment or just saying like, okay, I need to strategize like what we can do differently. Um, I think that's a big thing. Like one of the things that we're attuned to is like noticing the problem areas. Um, It's like, okay, that, that didn't work well. Or we know like somebody's bringing in like a new food assistance program to our city. Like, oh, the way that they're doing it, it's not going to work. Like we're very good at knowing like Mm. they didn't do their research. But another thing that like we're really good at doing once we're given the leadership capability is figuring out a solution to that. So let's say, yeah, somebody's tasked to do X, Y, Z, they're going to figure out how we we need to get like the community engaged, how people are going to respond to it because they're culturally attuned. They they've witnessed things that have not gone well. I think one of the things that I'm cognizant of is like, I I think research is great. I'm a big proponent of like evidence-based, but I do think sometimes the healthcare field spends way more money on research than it does on hiring people that already have that research in their mind. Like mm. we already know what needs to happen in this community. Like the three years you spent on that research, like I could have told you that in like three minutes. Um, <laughs> right. So I think that that's a big thing. Like, yes, let's keep doing research, but like also let's put people in leadership positions that already know what needs to be done or like have experienced ways that shouldn't have, have happened. Um, a big thing is like quality control um, and effectiveness. Um, and implementation. I think I was talking to someone today and talking about how like a lot of times if you go into medical practice, um, you'll have a doctor, mm-hmm. let's say they diagnose you with like diabetes or high blood pressure. Those are things that run in my family. Right. So it came to mind. Um, there's a there's a big expectation that like, okay, I'm going to give you this diagnosis. Now you're going to go and figure it out. Like I told you what it was. Hopefully next time your blood levels, like your sugar levels come down. Yeah. This not Good luck. Much. Yeah. <laughs> right. And Corey, like with your work, like you are familiar with like the need of like, we need, like the community needs guidance. Like there was already mm-hmm. distrust in going to the doctor, um, probably. Um, and the terms of like immigrants, like there's a language and a cultural barrier there right. too. Um, and so when it comes to like, actually like, getting the outcome that we want, we know that it takes more than a diagnosis. Um, I think that's one of the things that I really like to highlight are community health workers, because that's an example mm. where like healthcare has really like recognized like, oh, this is why we need lived experience because these right. folks don't have to convince their neighbor um, to get like their covid test or they don't have to convince them um that they need assistance or because they already trust them they're already living in the neighborhood they already speak the language or the lingo um and Mm. oftentimes they look like them um too and i think that's a big factor that we can't deny like racism is still prevalent in the united states and if it's happening to us like we're gonna feel very like standoffish and like on guard if it if we're 
being supported by someone who looks different than us. Um, so yeah, I think in that context, it's, it's mm-hmm. very important to have like somebody who knows, like, it's not just enough to like create a program. Like what are all the ins and outs that we need to do to get people in the programs that we need to get people tested? What are the hurdles that they're going to face? Like what are the nuances that people have? I think that's another thing that people Mm. with lived experience know is like, let's say somebody that's like neurodivergent or has autism, like they're going to know what people who are neurodivergent need for like a conference or for a project or for an initiative. And they're going to be able to say like, actually like y'all have been doing this thing and it hasn't been working. Um, and they're going to know the nuances, like not every person with autism is the same, but like as a community, like they're, they're familiar with those things. And and there does come a point where we need to acknowledge, like, I don't know any, everything about my community. Right. We need to open up about that, but at least getting a person in the door to start that conversation is going to be light years instead of spending Mm -hmm. so much time just doing investigations. No, ab- absolutely. And even even on um uh on the advocacy side, I can see it being like especially in healthcare where a lot of older people will just say yes to everything. But then having someone there being like, "Are you sure mm-hmm. you want to do that?" cuz they're not going to say no to the doctor, but they're they'll tell that person that looks like them that has that lived experience exactly how they feel mm-hmm. and then that person can speak for them and i've, mm-hmm. I've seen that happen like mm-hmm. they don't really want to do this yes. <laughs> you know what i mean and that's that's a gift to be able to have somebody there that can speak for you because they know well i don't know if they really want to do this but they're mm-hmm. they don't know how to say that to the doctor exactly yeah and that i had a lot of those experiences um when I was an interpreter, um, I've been an interpreter in like refugee settings and in healthcare settings and like public school settings. But the ones that like were very um, just altering were the ones mm-hmm. in which it was a healthcare provider. Like the the laws and the um, stipulations for a translator are that like you really are just supposed to like say what they're saying in English yep. and figure it out and in, in that language like you can't really give guidance you and there's there's a, a, a point into which that is helpful um but there's also this un, another other component where like the doctor might be talking about a treatment that the client knows or the patient knows nothing about and like you might be like okay like um can i pause doctor like they don't know what, what they need like i need to interpret like or yeah. explain to them what this is um, but like, it's something that you see in their eyes, like the doctor might not catch yes. that. And that's Mm-mm. really frightening. It's like, how often does this happen? I think that's part of why there's so much malpractice is because people don't know Mm-mm. that they can ask questions and they don't have somebody encouraging them to, um, which is really scary. Oh, absolutely. Um, when, for those companies that, you know, want to hire individuals with lived experience maybe for community health workers you kind of touched on earlier or for or for whatever um industry 
are there things they need to, are there like tools or there things they should be focusing on like how like how do you start getting those people into the door that not only have lived experience but maybe the experience that the company really wants to see is there some what are, what are some of your advice advice around that yeah i would say for folks that don't have like um maybe a college or a master's degree um or even for folks that do that want to pivot into other roles, um, really like pinning down, like, what is it that I'm an expert at? Like maybe, and some of that is already like with lived experience. Like, um, so maybe I'm a very good storyteller, um, or I'm a very good, like cultural interpreter and that makes me a great communicator. But, and so like really taking that time and then also pairing those things with hard skills. Um, so like, let's say somebody managed like maybe they were an old, oldest child or something they had seven seven siblings that was my mom's story right like they managed the household and so that's that's a manager that is a manager position mm. like writing down all the duties that you do of like responsible for the schedule responsible for making sure that i'm like ensuring that we have enough of this product like I, I think it, it can be really hard to like just break, take time to break down like what we do in professional language. But mm. even if we don't do it for a job, I think it's something that like really boosts our self esteem when we realize like, wow, I have so much to offer this world. Yeah. Like, I should be getting paid just for living in my house, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I think about that a lot with like, stay-at-home moms or like stay-at-home parents i'm like yeah that's a real job like and if you're gonna raise like your kids to like be healthy like it's and educated in, in the terms of like getting reading and things of that nature like it really does like take some routine and some planning to do that um other skills that i would recommend to people are like looking up courses online of like project management um or um coding right now so i was working in digital health and that's something that i think is going is like a horizon for us um there's going to mm -hmm. come a point when like we're not going to distinguish between healthcare and digital health it's just all kind of going to be one thing and I agree. Um, whether you want to get into that on like i think for people with lived experience getting into that um and like user experience research is a really good in or even design um, because user experience is essentially almost in a way doing customer service um, of like where we have like all of these people that use a software, let's say Facebook, for example, or, or we can do tele telehealth, um, right. telehealth apps. Um, they're using this software, but like what are the things that we could improve? And a lot of times digital health solutions are catered to people that are like Medicaid recipients or that um, just have like very complex health issues. And very few of the times are they making sure that they're getting the perspectives of diverse um, clients, of diverse patients. And so part of doing UX research is like uh, getting on a personal level with someone, whether it's a focus group or an interview and really understanding like, what is it that you need and how is this software meeting you where you are? And then reporting that back to like the product team and saying like, this is what I heard. Mm. These are my suggested recommendations. We need to like 
maybe the software is already in Spanish or whatever language other than English, but we need more than that. Like we need to be more culturally competent and these are the areas in which we can start. So yeah. And then, then I would also say like people with lived experience make great business folks too. Um, Mm -hmm. The entrepreneurial bug is something that I'm trying to catch, but like, I know that there are some (laughs) people that like are just born with it or they had to, like my cousin was out like, hustling like used clothing in Mexico like for the longest time and like now she's like a um a pharmacist like director um regional director um, because she's just like so good at like doing business um she's like really good at upselling but also just treating people really well and I think if you're a CEO or even if you're a director like the way that you treat people like you cannot teach someone to be kind you cannot teach someone to be like a humble leader that actually like tries to learn from their staff. Like you can read that in a book and it will help you. I'm not negating that, but there are some skills that people just like have and are born with. And I think we really need to leverage the opportunity for those people and get them ramped up. No, that's so real. You said a few things there that just kind of, just kind of caught my attention. One being, um, when it comes to lived experience, there are people that sit, that will say, "Oh, I just watch my kids. I'm just at home with the kids, right? Oh, I'm just I'm just at home with the kids. I'm just a stay at home mom, or I'm just a stay at home dad." But um, that is a job that some people I would just much rather pay for daycare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Like that's that is true. that's a skill. That yeah, is a skill. Like patience in that, or like even oh my gosh. grit of like, ooh, like you are nagging me. <laughs> maybe not even nagging me. They would say like, it's like, okay, I'm on a call, but like, I'll get to you. Like that is persistence and patience. Yes. Yeah, discipline. Discipline. And, and mm-hmm. I, I think when, when I think of lived experience, you know, it's such a, a equitable thing to be as a as a company to be thinking about because if you look at all the people your your cousin you were talking about like her experience she could be the ceo of something but just because she doesn't have that whatever background they look for in a ceo college yeah she couldn't afford it it doesn't it doesn't mean anything i mean it there there is some look i'm not i got a college degree i'm not saying there's nothing there's nothing good in that but Mm-hmm. I'm sure I, there are people in the world that are better than me at my job that don't have my experience or my degree. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know what I mean? That's just that's just a fact. And I feel like we, if we want to tackle some of these social determinants and improve some of these communities, we have to look outside of that. You know, that typical job description of a bachelor degree, master's preferred. You know, you are, you know, are, are what, or whatever, because there are people out here in these communities that could benefit their community by having a, a job that they have pride in, and they're and they're contributing mm-hmm. to the the world or their community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A lot of the times, when I'm doing my work, I have my mom in mind, um, mm. and my mom is probably like the second person I know best besides myself. Um, and so I, if I see a solution, I'm like, what would my mom think about this if she saw it? Or 
how easy would this be for her to access? Would she understand what it is? And so it's like kind of thinking through those like complexities of, of who this individual and then also who these communities are. Um, and that's something that you can't, I can't teach that to somebody else because mm-hmm. I'm the only person that's lived that, like known right. what it's like to be my mom's daughter or to like be a part of these communities. Um, I do think that like there need to be more opportunities for these folks to get fellowships and even apprenticeships. Like if there are folks that like haven't had the chance to go to college or won't be able to. And I also think not everyone needs to go. I'm a very big fan of like trades. Um, And so I'm like, but there's still ways that we can like be bringing people into the fold. Um, And like, we need to really create alternative pipelines. Um, yeah. Another thing is like scholarships. Like I know we want more equity in our education system and especially like when it comes to like our healthcare providers, I really want to see more scholarships that are based on lived experience. Like mm. people that like know what it's like to go to the community health clinic and wait four hours to get help. Like they have, or, they have an experience that like we or I know I don't, but I know that there are other people who have that and they're going to be able to recognize like administrative things or just like what are alternatives that we can do to like evade that from happening. So I think right. these folks like we have so much to offer if we are given the opportunity and there needs to be more emphasis on creating those pathways. Oh, I love that. I love that. So, Quinny, you talked about your your start in in social work. Um, you, you're you're an obvious, you know, healthcare or health equity advocate. What is next? Where do you see yourself going from here? What are some of the things that you really want to see yourself? What are some of your goals? What What is Quinny going to be doing out here? What do these streets look like? I know. What are these streets? <laughs> And I was like, uh, I don't know. Um, no, but really, um, I'm really passionate about a few things right now. Um, in the current, in the time that I was with Rock Health, like just being together with Latinas from all sorts of backgrounds um, who were just championing health equity. And recognizing that there are very few opportunities for them to come together is something that like has left this like hole in my heart where I'm like, I really want to do something to continue bringing um, like these leaders together. Um, and, yeah. and I think there's, there's a need for like that within like different population groups, but I think also just like BIPOC leaders as a whole, like I think we we fuel one another. Um, I think the conversations that I've had with you have fueled me. They've affirmed what I'm doing. Um, and hopefully like what we're saying affirms what other people are, are doing too. But I, I really want to bring more of those folks together. Um, and I think highlighting too um, that Latinas are not a monolith. Like we represent a variety of races, a variety of different languages that are spoken in countries. And so really wanting those folks to feel like they're seen is really important to me. Um, I'm actually entertaining the idea of a podcast. Um, and so okay. I'm like, 
<laughs> focused on like Latina health. And so I'm like, okay, I, I might need to connect with Corey on more of like a mentorship <laughs> level on that. Um, but yeah, I think that's like a really big thing for me. And I think that translates too into like the work that I'm doing here in North Carolina and in the triangle. Um, I want more folks um, in the area to be aware of opportunities that, that we have like across the healthcare ecosystem. Like you don't just have to work in a community health center, but if that's what you want to do, like I want that to be because you chose it, not because right. that was the only option that you thought. Or like, I don't, I hear a lot from like my friend who works at um, UNC. It's like, they've got a great medical school and there's like students that are studying to be pre-med and they're like, I don't think I can be in healthcare because it's just not my thing. And so they're thinking about leaving healthcare completely when they don't know that there's other options for them. I think that's oh, right. what I really want to raise the flag on is if I have access to this within my local community of like educating people on like all of these other healthcare opportunities, like I want to take that because healthcare is is moving fast. Sometimes it moves too slow, but like the workforce mm-hmm. itself, like is going to drive the changes in healthcare. And I really want that, those folks to be representative of the communities that, that need the help the most. No, absolutely. Uh, Quinny, you know, thank you so much for your time today. For those that want to learn more about you, connect with you, um, where can they reach you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, my LinkedIn at is like slash Q Sanchez Lopez. Um, but we'll we'll make sure we get the right link in, in the description too. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. I re- I really really appreciated it. And um, everybody, thank you for listening to the Healthy Project podcast. I'll highlight you next time. <laughs>